morning, everybody. Uh, as we continue in worship, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2, uh, we've been in the book of Acts for several weeks now, and uh, we'll continue uh, for a couple more weeks. As you turn there, let me uh, pray and ask God's blessing uh, on our time together in His Word. Uh, Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for a time to continue in worship as you've gathered us here this morning as we call out to you. God, may it be the cry of our hearts and our lives that our help comes from the Lord. Uh, Jesus, I ask now that by your Spirit you lift our eyes up to look upon you. God, through your Word, that we would see you more clearly, that we would see uh, our brokenness. Uh, God, that we would see our need for rescue. And God, that we would rest secure in the work you've done, Jesus. That by your Spirit you would open our minds to understand, our hearts to receive the good news of your work. And God, that you would transform us as your people for your glory and our joy and the advancement of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. The apostle Peter is preaching this great sermon, and he says this in verse 22. Men of Israel, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the, lo the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. We all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is God's word. Friends, Christ Jesus makes all things new. And this is good news for us. We live in a broken world, longing for restoration. You don't have to look far to see the brokenness 
It could be general, such as uh, large, catastrophic natural disasters. It could be more personal, as we saw this week with the uh, shooting in a movie theater in Colorado. Uh, Even closer to home, a dear family, part of our church here, lost a loved one yesterday. Even closer, we experience brokenness in our relationships, in our marriages, and our families. We experience the sin and struggles and rebellion of the human heart with pride and sin and despair. <laughs> we experience brokenness through our physical bodies with illness, sickness, and pain, eventually death. But when we look at God's word, we see that there's something different that God offers in Christ. You see, when we experience brokenness, whether it's something large and cataclysmic like a natural disaster or some horrible criminal activity like a shooting or some tragic death of a loved one or broken relationships, whether it be in family or friendships, we typically react one of two ways. Sometimes we just throw up our hands in despair and say, what's the point? We live in an evil, broken world. And we, and we tend to despair and just say, forget it. We're left with questions, we're left with doubts, we're left with fear. A second reaction that's common is that we try to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do something about this brokenness. I'm going to do better and try hard. I'm going to try to fix this situation. And oftentimes, even with good intentions, we find ourselves tainted by brokenness, thinking maybe that we ourselves are some sort of savior of the situation. You see, brokenness is common for all of us and it expresses itself in different ways and the, and the two reactions that are common to man, either despair or uh, self-reliance are common to us. But you see, God in Christ and through his scriptures offers us a third way. The gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus. Rather than throwing our hands up in utter despair or picking ourselves up by our bootstraps for self-reliant action, Jesus announces good news for his kingdom because Jesus is a far better king than we could ever be. He's a far better rescuer than we could ever hope to be. Jesus is a far better Restore, bringing restoration beyond anything we could hope for on our own. Throughout the Bible, God's people were expecting restoration. Throughout the Bible, we see that time and time again, God's people experienced brokenness. This begins in the very first book of the Bible as God creates everything out of nothing. The first two chapters of Genesis, things are great. There's food everywhere, there's animals everywhere, there's First husband and wife walking around unashamed, unclothed, eating food in a garden. Sounds pretty cool. By the time we get to chapter three, they experience brokenness, and there's a brokenness in that relationship between the first man and the first woman that's passed along throughout generations and generations to us today. There's a brokenness between them and God. God still cares for them. He still shows his love for them by providing for them and protecting them, but there's still a brokenness in that relationship. 
time and time again throughout the books of Genesis, Exodus, all the way to Revelation, you see brokenness interpersonally between people, between God's people and other nations. Time and time again, God's people experienced exile and oppression from different governments. We see in the book of Exodus that God's people were enslaved and God took care of them through his covenant love for them. He set them free from bondage to take them to a promised land, to give them his word, his law, so that they could be his people, that he could be their God. Time and time again, people oppress God's people. God sets them free. All a part of brokenness and all a foreshadowing of God's redemptive, restoring plan. We get to the first century where we are in the book of Acts and we see that that God's people yet again are experiencing oppression from the Roman government. There's corruption politically. There's corruption religiously. There are broken relationships undoubtedly because these are people and people are broken. And we see that God continually says to his people that he will be their king. He will be their God. He will surely restore them. Jesus sets foot on the stage of human history preaching and teaching the good news, doing miracles, showing signs that point to God's restoration of his people. He dies, is crucified, buried, raises again from the dead, commissions his apostles to take this good news to the ends of the earth, that indeed God is restoring once and for all his people. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, The disciples ask this great question, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom in Israel? You see, there's this anticipation. God has always restored his people. And so yet again, they are gathered together and Jesus is standing there and they're saying, Lord, is is now the time that you're going to restore everything? And Jesus says to them in 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we see this beautiful picture of what restoration looks like. Jesus is saying, look, restoration is in me and restoration is bigger and broader than you can ever imagine. The disciples say, look, we've been waiting for thousands of years and you and your word because your God say that you will bring restoration to your people. Is now that time? Because you lived and you taught and you did miracles and you died and you came back to life. So certainly this must be the time for you to bring restoration And Jesus says, I have, but it's going to look different than you thought. It's going to be broader than you're thinking. It's not just this kingdom, but it's all creation. I'm bringing restoration and you are my witnesses of that restoration in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We see that Jesus ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father And his disciples are dispersed to go out and steward this good news. The Holy Spirit comes down to to do more signs and miracles to attest to the validity of the gospel. And Simon Peter stands up and proclaims this beautiful sermon. Now it's a time of Pentecost. This is an important feast for first century Jews who they would get together to celebrate God's covenant renewal, to celebrate God's goodness to his people, to celebrate God's continual restoration of brokenness, his provision and protection for his people. 
Jewish tradition uh, says that, that this coincides with, with when uh, they would celebrate God giving the covenant to Moses. So you, you have this imagery of God's people being set free and they're celebrating. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bigger, better holiday than the 4th of July for us. Being set free from slavery and independence is, is what they would be thinking. So they'd be gathering together to have this big feast. We saw last week that, that, sermon, uh, that Simon Peter stands up and gives this uh, great sermon against the backdrop of expecting covenant renewal and restoration. And and Peter stands up and quotes the prophet Joel, saying, look, God is bringing about this covenant renewal. This brokenness is going to be restored. And we continue today in the passage, and we see that he continues in his sermon, and now he starts quoting Psalms. So here's Simon Peter, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God, stands up and starts quoting Scripture right and left, and is proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the gospel And so there's four things we're going to look at for this part of the passage today regarding being witnesses of God's restoration because God is bringing restoration in the person and work of Jesus. He's done it through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and his ascension to the throne of God on high. And he continues to bring this restoration because he sent the Holy Spirit to to actualize this good news in our hearts and in our lives today. So a few things I want us to look at as we, as we unpack this huge, thick, awesome passage that you are going to go home and read and study and meditate on all week, right? Because we have just a few minutes together, so we can't do all of it today. But I want us to see first and foremost that the restoration is part of the plan of God. In Genesis chapter 3, God did not say, uh, you guys screwed up, you disobeyed me, you rebelled, you're done for. No, even in chapter 3, verse 15, God promises that he will bring restoration. And all of the Old Testament is is glimpses and pieces of restoration, all pointing us to Jesus. And so restoration is part of the plan of God all along. We see it in this verse right here, in these verses in verse 23. Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We see it again in verse 24. God raised him up. It's God's doing. Uh, Again in verse 30, God had sworn an oath. And we see again in verse 32, God raised Jesus up. And again in verse 36, let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made. So if you just look in a handful of verses, you see this is all God's doing. At no point is this the plan of man, the plan of Israel, the plan of the disciples, the plan of well-intentioned people saying, look, we see brokenness, we're going to fix this. Nor is it people saying, look, there's brokenness, let's just give up. But rather we see God says, look, there's brokenness, I'm going to do something about it. You see, because God is the only one who can restore the brokenness that we put in play. I mean, sin and rebellion is, is cosmic treason, one pastor and author says. Cosmic treason. We can't fix that. Brokenness is beyond our repair. We see that it's part of the plan of God to bring redemption and restoration to his people and to his creation. It's God's doing. All throughout this verse, it's the plan of God. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That phrase cannot be used to describe any human mind throughout human history ever. Only God can have a definite plan and foreknowledge for restoration. And this should give us joy. This should give us peace. This should give us confidence. And knowing that the brokenness that is there 
is not permanent for those who are in Christ. So you and I walking into this room saying, all right, we experience brokenness. I mean, we hear about this Colorado shooting and that's horrible. We hear about death and sickness. We experience brokenness in our work relationships and our family relationships. And, and, and those of you who are dating know that sometimes it's just not easy to date somebody. And when you get married, sometimes sin will creep in in one form or fashion because you're both sinners. Marriage doesn't fix everything. Jesus brings restoration and redemption, and it's part of God's plan, definite plan and foreknowledge. And this gives us confidence, because it's God's definite plan, and God's plans cannot be thwarted. This gives us joy, because this is something God thought of, not us. This gives us freedom and peace to look to Christ to bring restoration. So as we move forward, I just want to ask you, you know, what does restoration look like in your life and how are you trying to fix things? Uh, you've got to look to Christ. You've got to look to Christ. So it's part of God's definite plan. Secondly, we see that it's, it's prophesied by David. Now, David was a great king hundreds of years before the first century here, before Acts was written and before Peter uh, proclaimed this. David was the, the greatest king of Israel. And so as God's people gathered in the first century to get together and celebrate Pentecost, to celebrate this great feast of God's provision and protection, and they were celebrating God's covenant renewal, and they, they're celebrating, hey, you know, God renewed his covenant, you know, during the time of Exodus, he set us free, and he gave us the Ten Commandments and his law, and he gave us this promised land, but we screwed that up, but God is, is faithful to love us, to provide for us, to protect us, and, and is continually renewing his covenant with his people and bringing that restoration. All the while, they're thinking uh, religiously, but also politically. You see, you and I today kind of compartmentalize stuff. We have our spiritual life and our political life and our religious life and our you know, soccer carpool life, you know, soccer mom carpool life. I'm a soccer dad, so it's cool. I'm all about carpool lines. It's the glory of God. Come on, work with me. The first century, a first century Jew would not compartmentalize like that. They didn't say, well, here's my religious life and here's my political life. It was just life. Here's my life. And so when they're expecting restoration to come, it's not only religious or spiritual renewal, but it's also political renewal. They were expecting God to set foot in human history, not only to uh, do away with religious corruption and not only to renew their souls, but also just to, to provide for them a kingdom to live in, a renewed political kingdom. They were expecting a Messiah to come in and, and, and run out the Romans who were oppressing them and taxing the mess out of them. And so here in the first century, as Peter gets up and says this, this amazing thing, I mean, this has religious and political and personal implications as he's proclaiming Jesus's restoration that's part of the plan of God. He stands up and says, look, Jesus is not just some new teacher. He's not some political revolutionary. This is, this is part of God's plan. And then he starts quoting David, the greatest king ever, who hundreds of years before prophesied through Psalm 16. Hopefully in your Bible you have footnotes that tell you where quotes are coming from because you need to go back and read that. Like if you look here, it should say at the bottom of your Bible, if it doesn't, write in Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11 and write that in. And then turn back to Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11. And if I were you, I would write Acts chapter 2 verse 25 through 28 or whatever it is. 
That way, when you go back and read it in context, you can see how God promised hundreds of years before through King David, who was acting like a prophet here, that he would bring restoration and how Jesus fulfills that. And Peter says, look, Jesus is fulfilling that. You got to read our Bibles from left to right and then left again. Off track a little bit. Here we go. Verse 25 through 28, the prophet, uh, I mean, the King, King David prophesied through the Psalms. I saw the Lord always before, before me. He's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So here you are, walking into this room today, me and you experiencing brokenness, mourning the death of a loved one, mourning the the tragedies of broken humanity and broken culture, mourning the fact that you have friction in relationships, feeling lonely, expecting God to intervene, And Peter preaches a sermon saying, look, man, this is part of God's plan. Jesus is God's restorative plan. His definite plan and foreknowledge is God's doing to bring restoration to his people. The prophet uh, David acting like a prophet through the Psalms says, look, here's what happens when God shows up. He will not abandon you. Your heart will be glad. Your tongue will rejoice. You will dwell in hope. He will not abandon you to Hades. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. You see, friends, we are witnesses of God's restoration. Therefore, we do not despair. We have joy. We have hope. Why? Because we have the presence of God with us. It's part of God's plan. It's what David prophesied about. Here, the way that Peter is using this is to attest to the fact that Jesus is the Holy One of God that David was talking about, that Jesus You see, God had promised David that through his lineage, a a, a true and better king would come, a a true king who would reign forever, that through David's line, there would be some king who would rule eternally over God's people. And Peter's saying, yeah, that's it. That's Jesus. Jesus came from the line of David. Jesus is the true and better king with a true and better kingdom. So as Peter stands up, speaks to this Jewish audience who's saying, hey, we're here expecting God's restoration. We're here expecting God's covenant renewal. There's hundreds of people saying, look, we're devout, religious, smart people, and we know that God is good, but we also know that we're experiencing religious and political and personal brokenness. And Peter said, let me, get, let me tell you guys something. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is God's plan for restoration. Jesus is the true and better king that David prophesied about hundreds of years before. Jesus is the fulfillment of your expectations. Undoubtedly, this would bring to mind to them the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, who said, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. And their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know 
that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Friends, that's amazing good news that would blow the mind of a first century Jew as Peter is proclaiming psalms to them and they're expecting that God will indeed fulfill this promise that, that the servant David, somebody from the line of David would come and be the king and be God's dwelling presence with them. And Peter stands up and says, hey, you guys have been expecting this for hundreds of years. You've been studying this. You've been praying over this. You've been saying, God, show up. God, show up. God, do this. God, do this. And Jesus sets foot on the scene and says, here I am. And Peter says, look, there he is. And that's what you've been expecting. Jesus is God's plan for restoration. He's God's plan for redemption. He's God's plan to remedy the brokenness and rescue you, his people, out of the brokenness of religious corruption, political corruption, personal brokenness, sin, death, the grave. And this is what I love about it. We see it's all about the work of Christ. Okay, so it's God's plan from history, the foreknowledge and definite plan of God. I mean, we have no idea how God's mind works because he's God and there's no one like him. So before time began, God has this plan that he's going to rescue his people. I don't know how it works, but it just does. It's what the Bible says. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He knew it beforehand that he was going to come rescue his people and that it was going to work. It wasn't like a gamble. God's like, hey, I hope this works. And he's like, this is my definite plan, so it's going to work. And then it works. And David, through the Psalms, says, I'm expecting that. The prophet Ezekiel says, I'm expecting that. The first century Jews gather together and worship and say, we're expecting this. You and I today, whether we admit it or not, walk in this room expecting something. And here it is. Let me tell you what Jesus did to make this restoration happen. <laughs> it's amazing. Look what Jesus does. This is what Scripture says Jesus does because it's God's plan. David expected, Ezekiel expected, first century Jesus expected, we expected. God, show up, restore us, bring restoration to brokenness. Now, how are you going to do that? And Jesus says, this is what Jesus does. Well, I'll just sum it up this way and then we'll read it. We see it's all about the work of Jesus Christ, his ministry, his life his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and then the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that he sent. This is exciting stuff. Look at what happens here. I mean, this is all laid out for you in just a handful of verses. Verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He's talking about the life of Jesus. He's saying, look, you, you know this. You saw the works of Jesus. You saw him do miracles. You saw him feed the poor. You saw him raise the sick and raise the dead. You heard him teach. You have seen the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus is important. It's part of the gospel. But there's more. The crucifixion of Jesus, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Ouch. What if I said that to you guys? Welcome to the well. You crucified and killed Jesus. It's part of God's plan. Jesus was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The thing I love about that is that just shows that lawless people are not outside the scope of God's plan. Isn't that cool? This is part of God's plan, definite foreknowledge, definite plan of foreknowledge of God. Lawless men. Lawless men can't sneak in and thwart God's plan. God uses them. 
He did it with Pharaoh. He did it with Caesar and Pilate and all these guys. He does it with you and me. We're broken too, you know. You guys okay? The crucifixion, because of the life of Jesus and the crucifixion are part of the gospel plan of God to bring restoration. Verse 29, we see that Jesus was buried. He says, Brothers, may I, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. But he goes on to say, Look, Jesus, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So you see, you see that. Jesus died. He was crucified. He died. He was buried, but he didn't stay there. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So Jesus was raised up by God. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. So Jesus is exalted at the right hand of God. He sits on a throne next to God the Father. He is equal with God the Father because he's part of the Trinitarian Godhead. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit to come and dwell with his people and have ongoing ministry. And we see glimpses of that at the beginning of Acts as we've already seen. That they are speaking in different languages to tell the mighty works of God. And that through sermon, uh, Simon Peter's sermon, Empowered by the Holy Spirit, people are coming to call upon the name of the Lord. And as Simon Peter unrolls the book of Psalms here and just starts saying, hey, this, this is what David was expecting. This is what me and you were expecting. This is what the prophet Joel was expecting. And here's how Jesus fulfilled all of these expectations and promises of God to bring restoration. And that Jesus is the full culmination of God's redemptive plan. Jesus himself says in Revelation 21, Behold, I am making all things new. How can Jesus make all things new? By his perfect life, by his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the throne of God on high, by which he sends the Holy Spirit to be with his people. So what are we to do with this? I'm just like throwing all this out there saying, all right, this is, this is great, Jeremy. This is first century uh, Jewish guys hanging out and like quoting the Bible right and left. And, and we believe that this is true. We believe that Jesus lived. We believe that Jesus died. So what's the significance? I mean, why, why are, are, are you talking to us? Because <laughs> when we look at the beginning of Acts 1.6, and we see the disciples who lived with Jesus for years. I mean, they sat there. They heard him teach. They saw his miracles. They witnessed everything. They just lived with him for a couple years. And after he dies and comes back to life, they said, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to bring restoration? I mean, these guys knew Jesus better than you and I. I mean, they were face to face with him. Jesus, is now the time you're bringing restoration? And Jesus says, restoration, here's what it looks like. You're going to be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You're going you're gonna to tell this good news and embody this good news so that restoration will go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Why? Because it's part of God's plan. 
Why? Because I'm Jesus and this is my work that I did to make that happen. And why? Because the Holy Spirit is empowering you to take this good news of restoration to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You're, you're witnesses of restoration. And then you get over to Acts chapter 2 where we are today. And Peter preaching the sermon says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We are witnesses that Jesus has done what he said he was going to do, that he's part of, of God's redemptive plan, that we are witnesses because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, so it's like this Trinitarian redemptive plan, this of restoration going on here, that God the Father had this plan, a definite plan and foreknowledge, and that Jesus did these things to bring restoration. The Holy Spirit empowers us to understand and live it and proclaim it. And the whole point boils down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Friends, it all boils down to this. The plan and purpose of restoration from God is that Jesus lived, died, buried, was resurrected and ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father, and he would send the Holy Spirit to empower this mission of witnesses of, re of restoration to go throughout the ends of the earth. Why? So that we would know for certain that he is both Lord and Christ. So what does that mean for me and you today? What does it mean? Jesus is both Lord and Christ. What does that mean? Uh, Lord and Christ, there was this anticipation, like I said, of, of not only religious, spiritual renewal, but also political renewal. There was this expectation of rescue physically, but also spiritually. And so Peter says, yes, all of your expectations for restoration and rescue from brokenness come down to the person and work of Jesus. So don't despair and throw up your hands and walk away and give in to the brokenness. Don't sink into the swamps of sadness. nor try to shortcut your way and do some push-ups and do whatever you can to fix it because you can't. But rather lean on Christ. He is Jesus. He is both Lord and Christ. He is the fulfillment of the purpose and plan of God, the definite plan of God, the foreknowledge of God. The plan for redemption and restoration is Jesus. Not Jesus plus something, not something maybe if you can't get Jesus and Jesus is just one of those, but it's Jesus is for certain, both Lord and Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, it quotes this Psalm, uh, Psalm 110 that's in here. The Lord will say to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The writer of Hebrews quotes that same Psalm to talk about the superiority of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ over angels and everybody else. <laughs> See, Jesus' incarnation and ministry makes it possible for him to be our Savior. Jesus' death on the cross achieved our salvation. Jesus' resurrection confirmed his work. Jesus' exaltation and ascension made it possible for him to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit actualizes salvation and restoration in our lives personally and empowers us to be witnesses of Christ's restoration to the ends of the earth. Because Jesus is a better king, a better Lord, a better Christ. And he brings a fuller restoration than we could ever imagine. So in closing, I'll say this, my friends. 
think about, just spend a minute thinking about the brokenness that, you, that you're witnessing. I mean, you're witnessing brokenness. You're, you're witnesses of brokenness if you read the news or if you like breathe or if you talk to another human being or if you just, you know, you just, we are. Now, how do you react to that brokenness? Do you act in despair? Or do you act in self-reliance? Try to fix it, make it better? Friends, let me encourage us all to repent of despair and repent of self-reliance and turn to Jesus to believe for certain that he is both Lord and Christ, that he is the fulfillment of God's definite plan and foreknowledge for restoration, that his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to God is the fulfillment of all expectation for restoration, that he sends his Holy Spirit upon us so that we may know for certain that he is Lord and Christ and, and trust for certain that God's restoration is in play. May we repent of sin, repent of despair, repent of self-reliance, believe this good news, and know for certain that he is both Lord and Christ. Is that a fair deal? Let me, let me pray. Uh, Father God, thank you for a time in your word uh, with friends this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you would, uh, God, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to um, the effects of sin and brokenness in our hearts, uh, the effect of sin and brokenness in our relationships, uh, God, the effect of sin and brokenness on our, our bodies. Um, God, we don't have to look far to see that. Man. Lord, I pray that our response would not be one of despair, nor would it be one of uh, self-reliance, but, uh, but God, that uh, you would use the brokenness and hardship to draw us to you, that we would lean on you, Jesus, as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the true Lord and Christ, as the true and better King, the true and better rescuer, the one who is bringing restoration beyond our imagination. And God, may we never lose hope, let never lose heart. May we be like David in the Psalms who uh, rejoices with his tongue and whose heart is full of gladness and who has hope because you are dwelling uh, with him. And Lord, I pray that we would embrace that good news. God, that we have hope because of the personal work of your, of your son Jesus, that we can rejoice and be glad because your Holy Spirit empowers us to believe and to proclaim. And God, all of us are hurting in this room in one form or fashion, and I pray that that hurt would draw us closer to you and closer together, that your gospel, your good news would be at work in our lives personally, and that we would experience this restoration in the context of a community of, of restored people, and that this good news would ripple out from this place for your glory, our joy, and the advancement of the good news of Jesus. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.